Hello, and welcome to Talking General Practice, the podcast from GP Online. I'm Emma Bauer, editor of GP Online, and I'm joined today by our news editor, Nick Bostock, and our senior reporter, Luke Haynes, to discuss some of the key news stories affecting general practice. Coming up, we'll be looking at workload in general practice. More specifically, we'll be discussing the number of patient contacts GPs have in a typical day, and whether there should be a cap on the number of consultations they undertake. We'll also be talking about mandatory vaccination for NHS staff, and we'll be looking at the findings of a report from the CQC, which found its own regulatory processes may disadvantage GP practices led by doctors from ethnic minorities. And as the government in England abandons Plan B and rolls back most COVID-19 restrictions, we'll be discussing the reaction from the NHS. Finally, we have some good news on a really unique art-based social prescribing initiative. That's all to come on this week's episode of Talking General Practice. So it's been a busy couple of weeks in the world of general practice. This week, GP Online reported some results from a recent survey we conducted that found GPs are carrying out 84% more patient contacts per day on average than the level considered safe by the BMA. The survey found that GPs completed on average 46 patient contacts per full working day, 84% above what the BMA says should be the safe limit of 25 contacts a day. So Luke, can you tell us a bit more about what the survey found? Yes. So as you say, our survey found that GPs are doing just sort of way above the level of daily contacts uh, that's recommended and by quite some margin. So GPs delivered on average 16.6 face-to-face consultations and 29.9 telephone consultations each day. And around three-fifths of the respondents said that they carried out online consultations too. And even though we found that GPs were doing on average 46 contacts per day, so the combined of those two figures, there were loads of examples of GPs doing way in excess of, of this figure with some surpassing the 100 contact mark. The survey also highlighted the the fact that GPs are regularly working over their contracted hours each week um, just to get through the amount of work they have at the minute. And although I've spoken quite a lot there about consultations, what also came out in the survey responses was the amount of hidden work that GPs are doing. So those tasks that perhaps don't get looked at in official figures. So, for example, GPs said they were having to do admin tasks, results, letters, uh, prescription queries and fit notes, all on top of um, increasing numbers of consultations. But they were saying that there just isn't enough time at the minute um, in the day to get round to all of these on top of the, the huge amount of contacts they're dealing with. Um, so the BMA's GP committee chair, Dr. Farah Jamil, Uh, She commented on the results saying that the profession is buckling under the demand and that the current situation is neither sustainable nor safe for doctors or patients. She added that GPs and their teams were contending with unrealistic policy expectations um, of what can be achieved. And she warned that safety is being compromised and that um, this will inevitably lead to more GP departures. She's called for policymakers to urgently prioritise and refocus uh, on the one thing that matters right now, which she says is sort of good patient care. And she wants policymakers to call, I guess, call their attention um, so much on targets, which aren't what is going to help their situation at the minute and help GPs on the ground. So overall, the results of the survey, um, they reflect an overworked GP um, workforce with practitioners seeing more patients than what is safe, which um, should be a concern for everyone. Yeah, I mean, you've also been talking to GPs about the reality of what this sort of pressure is like to deal with day to day. What have they been telling you? Yeah, so... 
after we did the servo, sort of trying to get behind those stats and uncover, I guess, the reality of what's happening on the ground and how this pressure is being borne out. Like the surveys, the GPs uh, I spoke to, they're all working flat out with all of them doing a minimum of 50 contacts a day and one doing around 90 consultations. So that same GP doing the 90 consultations, he told me that um, he does anywhere between 200 to 300 tasks a day, which is an incredible amount of work for just one person to do. And he also said that he regularly exceeds the 25 limit or the advised limit by um, by 9am, which is staggering. And the reality of this is that he's just lost all sense of um, of a work-life balance and the hobbies and activities that he would usually do outside of work have, have just disappeared because general practice is just, I guess, sort of consuming his life at the, at the minute. Another GP said to me that managing staff and their workload was becoming ever more important after they lost a couple of um, a couple of staff recently, um, which was related to how much they they were working. And she told me that part of the problem um, and something that had changed during the pandemic was the complexity of consultations. People are presenting with multiple issues, um, but GPs just don't have the time to deal with all of these problems in one sitting. Um, so it's making those consultation times sort of longer than um, than ideally they they would like. And there was another another GP that also said that the old template that her practice had used for a few years in terms of consultations had just gone out of the window during the pandemic because um, because contacts were so high now that it just didn't didn't fit anymore and she said it was normal to sort of stay longer um, in the weekdays and even log on at the weekend just to clear the decks although we do have some inconsistencies with how general practice delivers across the country one thing that's um, that we can say for sure is that the profession is universally busy at the moment and um, GPs are sort of hanging on in there but how long that lasts or how long they can last uh, only time will tell. To bring you in, Nick, you know, over the past year, you've been looking at sort of the appointment data in general practice, which we've talked about at length on the podcast before. And the final data for 2021 is due out um, this week as we record this. And it will be available by the time people are listening. But as we recorded, we've seen data from January to November 2021. So we're able to compare that with the same period in 2019, you know, basically before the pandemic. The official data, they do back up the findings of our survey, don't they? Yeah, they do. Um, Luke's been talking about how things look for individual GPs and the unsustainably high level of daily patient contacts our survey picked up. Um, And the national picture is pretty similar. So looking at January to November 2021, compared with the same period in 2019, uh, so before the pandemic, General practice delivered nearly 50 million more patient contacts, which is a staggering figure. It is about a 17% increase compared with the same period in 2019. It's worth unpacking that a bit, I think. Um, So first of all, total appointments for 2021 include work carried out as part of the COVID-19 vaccination campaign. And when you strip that out, total appointments for the first 11 months of 2019 and 2021 are actually pretty similar. So within 1% of each other. So the first conclusion from that is general practice delivered just as many normal appointments in 2021 as it did in 2019, but with this colossal extra task of vaccinating the nation on top. But what we also know about the appointments data is that they probably don't reflect the full extent of GP appointments. 
NHS Digital says that its numbers have been affected uh, by variations in the way practices record information and that with greater use of telephone appointments during the pandemic, it's likely that so-called list appointments, where a GP might call multiple patients, could be recorded as a single event. So the true increase in total appointments is quite likely well above that 50 million uh, figure that I quoted earlier. To put all this in context, when Martin Marshall became chair of the RCGP in 2019, he said GP workload was his top priority and that for many doctors, general practice just didn't feel doable. Workload was already unacceptably high for general practice before the pandemic. And these figures, as well as what we've seen from our survey, shed a bit of light on just how much worse things have become since COVID-19 arrived. Yeah, I mean, there's been talk for a number of years about the possibility of introducing a cap on the number of patients that GPs should consult with during a a day. I mean, I remember this coming up at several LMC conferences over the years. And I guess the, the reason when we're talking about patient safety, I mean, I suppose it's that whole idea. Would you rather be the 10th person a GP seen or would you rather be the 80th person they've seen that day? And most people would say they'd rather be the 10th. And the whole idea is it's about decision fatigue and like forcing GPs to make multiple decisions one after another over a day. I mean, it's kind of inevitable that it will be harder for them to make decisions later on if they're seeing that many patients. But introducing a cap's not really as straightforward as that, is it? Luke, what do you think the general view about whether there should be a cap or not is at the moment? Yeah, there's a bit of a tough one. I think on the whole, the GPs that I've spoken to and the GPs that I've spoken to sort of in, in the past, I think they're not too sure about whether a cap would be a good idea. I think it's fair to say that they, they definitely want support. They sort of need the protection and they can see that a cap could help with this. But the only problem is there are a few drawbacks with the cap and whether it's going to be sort of the saving grace of general practice or whether it could be is another question. So one of the questions, I guess, is, well, what is the safe level to cap at? Obviously, we know that the BMA has has said uh, you get to around 25 contacts per day, and that's when things start to get um, unsafe or get into the realms of being unsafe. But the complexity of those consultations may vary. So with uh, you might have 10 consultations that, um, that are all to do with treating long-term health conditions that might take more time and energy than, um, than say, someone who comes into the practice with, I don't know, flu-like symptoms. So it's where you set the cap. That's, that's something that I guess would need to be um, thought about quite carefully. The other thing is that, yeah, the cap might help, but the clear issue at the minute, I think everyone is probably in agreement is that it's it's the workforce I think is possibly the thing that's really driving this so we're losing more GPs every month and uh, schemes such as the additional roles reimbursement scheme is lagging behind it's supposed to deliver 26,000 additional staff by 2024 but um, it's not even delivered half of that total and we're past the halfway point now even though measures such as a cap could be beneficial people are pretty confident in the fact that at the minute it's sort of a numbers game and people just really need bodies and practices to to help out with this huge demand. So in, in, in discussions about a workload cap for GPs, one of the comparisons that often comes up is with pilots. And for pilots, there are strict rules on the number of hours they can work. And there are requirements for rest between blocks of time on duty and so on. Um, A parliamentary report about a decade ago said that up to a fifth of fatal accidents attributed to human error occur as a result of fatigue. And that's the key point, isn't it? It's tired people making decisions are more likely to make mistakes, which is the the point you were making, Emma. 
Um, and we know from a recent poll by the Medical Defence Union, the MDU, that one in four GPs say they've been at work while tired to the point of care potentially being impaired. And the risk of this isn't just to the patients, but to GPs themselves. We, we know that from BMA polling that more than half of GPs are struggling with, with their mental health because of the, the pressure that they're working under. A, a major consideration with a workload cap in general practice is what happens to all the appointments currently being delivered by GPs working incredibly long hours. But th there's a strong argument that that's coming at it from the wrong angle. We saw from our survey how many GPs feel overwhelmed by relentless pressure and unable to control their workload. So perhaps a safety limit on GP workload could shift responsibility away from those individuals to meet whatever demand comes at them and instead make it the government and NHS England's responsibility to make sure that there are enough GPs based on the cap to meet demand. Uh, you know, another part of the equation is perhaps more support for general practice to manage workload. And some of the changes, such as the increase in uh, use of triage during the pandemic, may have the potential to help with that to an extent. OK, thanks for that. I mean, one of the other big stories this week has been about mandatory vaccination for patient facing NHS staff, which is due to be introduced from the 1st of April. The deadline means that any unvaccinated staff will need to have their first jab by next Thursday, the 3rd of February. There are real concerns in some quarters that the introduction of the plans could seriously affect staff numbers across the health service. GP practices will also have the difficult task of implementing the regulations, which means they will be required to sack unvaccinated patient-facing staff if they cannot be redeployed elsewhere. NHS England guidance has suggested that practices may even need to seek independent legal advice if they find themselves in this position. The RCGP weighed into the debate this week. What did College Chair Professor Martin Marshall have to say about this, Luke? Yeah, so he's called for a short delay to the to the mandate. So just to clarify, the RCGP is against the mandation of um, vaccination. Nice little rhyme there. And um, they've said that forcing people to get it will create mistrust among the profession, or I guess could create mistrust. However, if it said if the government's unwilling to reverse its mandate, the college wants to delay to the rule just to allow more time for in-depth discussions about whether it is the right thing to do, obviously with that potentially huge workforce loss that could be around the corner. So at the minute, it's looking like we, well, we did a report the other day that um, that said that the NHS could lose around 10% of, of its staff. So obviously one in 10 that is lost to, to general practice, which would be a nightmare as things currently stand. Martin Marshall also said that um, the result of this workforce loss could be even poorer access to services and that it would place even more stress on the profession who, as we've just discussed earlier in the pod, are um, sort of being bombarded at the minute. Yeah, I mean, it is sort of an issue that seems to divide people. I mean, a lot of people in the NHS feel quite strongly that, that people should, people who work in patient facing roles should be vaccinated. Um, the Telegraph uh, this week reported that the government is considering kicking the can down the road, as it were, uh, because of the workforce crisis and the need to tackle the backlog of care. But all the official guidance is sort of pointing towards it being full steam ahead for this April deadline. Yeah. We had Nikki Kanani who came out well, around the same time as the Martin Marshall interview and she's encouraged staff to continue to get the vaccine. She said that it's important that uh, NHS workers get the jab to protect those that they're with um, every day working with and also uh, the patients that they're treating. And she really emphasised the notion that everyone is in, in this together. So it's incredibly important that people are protected against, against the virus. Anecdotally, I know that lots of GPs and primary care workers are, um, are in favour of 
of this mandate, they feel quite strongly about sort of peers getting the vaccine. And and I think also to sort of set example to, to the public and to increase confidence in it, because they obviously believe in the science and they just some of them, I guess, just can't see why you wouldn't get the jab, which has proven to be effective and, and safe. One thing that did come out just earlier this week, though, was um, the health secretary. He was speaking at a health and social care select committee meeting on Tuesday. He did say that the mandate was under a review, along with other um, COVID measures. The main reason that I think he sort of said that the government was still looking at this was because when the mandate was originally discussed and and I guess uh, proposed and set, we had Delta, which was the more prominent variant at the time. But since then, Omicron has sort of taken over and we know it spreads more easily, but it's not quite as severe. So I think in light of this and in light of the huge loss um, to the NHS workforce, he said that the government was reflecting all of all of this and um as we sort of said, it, it seems like it's full steam ahead. But yeah, it would be interesting to see if there is any change to, to what they're thinking or if there is any delay after the RCGP have called for it. However, the health secretary, he did say that it was the professional duty of staff to get their jabs and that they were still working towards getting as many people as they could um, inoculated. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see if there is any change in direction in this policy because um, it seemed fairly certain that it was all going ahead. So we'll have to keep our eyes out for that. Also in the news last week, the CQC has admitted that its regulatory process may disadvantage practices that are run by GPs from ethnic minorities in the conclusion of a report it conducted after concerns were raised about bias. Nick, what initially prompted this investigation by the CQC and what did the investigation actually find? There are long-standing concerns that GP practices led by doctors from ethnic minority backgrounds may be more likely to receive lower CQC ratings. Uh, and about a year ago, the CQC said it would investigate. There's evidence of bias more generally in regulation. We know, for example, that doctors from ethnic minority backgrounds are significantly more likely to be referred to the GMC by their employers. Uh, And a GMC report in 2019 highlighted concerns that this bias may also be a factor in CQC ratings for practices. And this was part of the prompt that led to this latest investigation. It's worth noting that the Royal College of GPs said it wanted an independent investigation into potential bias and it wanted ratings for all GP practices rated either inadequate or requires improvement to be looked at. Um, But but that demand was rejected by the CQC, so this this process was carried out by the regulator itself. And what the report found is that GP practices led by doctors from ethnic minorities may be disadvantaged by the CQC regulation process and are, open quotes, often not operating on a level playing field in terms of where they work and the support available to them. It, It found that many doctors from ethnic minority backgrounds believed their ethnicity was likely to lead to a worse CQC outcome. Uh, And it also found that one in four of the watchdog's own inspectors believed that ethnic minority-led practices were more likely to have poorer ratings. And there was also evidence uh, in this report that some inspectors feel challenges to CQC ratings from ethnic minority-led GP practices are less likely to be believed and that unconscious bias and discrimination may be a factor in some cases. But the report found that ratings also simply fail to account for factors that disproportionately affect ethnic minority-led GP practices, such as being single-handed, serving populations with high levels of deprivation or populations with a high level of ethnic diversity. And 
Although this isn't the first evidence we've seen that the CQC ratings process is a blunt instrument, it is the first official acknowledgement that this has a disproportionate impact on ethnic minority-led practices. So the CQC has said uh, it needs to do more work to improve its data around the impact of ethnicity to understand how its ratings process has an unfair impact and has promised to work on that. But although it says there's more work to do to understand the problem fully, it's also promised to begin to address the problems highlighted so far. Uh, and the BMA, for its part, has said that the findings show that one size fits all regulation simply doesn't work. Another major story this week is that the government in England has relaxed almost all the COVID-19 restrictions um, in place as it scrapped its so-called Plan B. The government says that Omicron is in retreat, yet we're still facing upwards of 100,000 or around 100,000 cases a day. Hospitals remain under enormous pressure, and this is obviously having a knock-on effect on general practice. Um, Nick, I was wondering if you could talk through what the general view from the NHS about the changes that the government have introduced in England this week have been. So, the, the, I mean, the BMA response is, is pretty straightforward. Uh, the BMA's chair, Dr Chan Nagpal, said this week that um, relaxing the restrictions now is a risk to the public. Doctors' leaders are clear that the, the health service is still under extreme pressure. As you've just mentioned, those cases are still up around the 100,000 a day mark. Uh, there are more than 17,000 people with COVID-19 in hospital at the moment. Um, and that ongoing pressure from COVID-19 means that work to eat into the NHS backlog, the 6 million people on the waiting list, many of whom need ongoing support from their GP practice in the form of multiple appointments while they wait for hospital treatment is, is slowed down. And general practice is already struggling, like the rest of the NHS, with high levels of staff absences. In the two weeks after Christmas, we've reported that uh, one in five GPs were off work with COVID-19. And a third of GPs said that the impact uh, on care from those staff absences has been significant. So um, I think, you know, it's pretty clear that the medical profession as a whole feels like um, the government is jumping the gun with the, the move to pull back from Plan B at this stage. It does seem quite extreme to almost get rid of all the mask wearing in particular. I mean, maybe we can understand a bit, but, you know, something like wearing a mask, which doesn't really impinge on anybody's ability to do anything. I think I'm sure most doctors and also an awful lot of members of the public are not very happy about the fact that those restrictions are being scrapped. Yeah, I mean, that's something that um, Dr Nagpal was clear about on, on TV uh, in, in the past week or so. He said something along the lines of um, that, uh, you know, masks were really not a restriction. They don't stop you, uh, you know, going to work, going on public transport, going out and about. Simply the, the impact of, of masks is to protect everyone around you uh, and people who are vulnerable. You know, his, his view was pretty unambiguous, again, that a, a sort of continued re requirement to, to wear masks would be uh, would be very welcome. Thanks, Nick. Um, finally, uh, today, we've got a time for a bit of good news. And I just wanted to highlight a really great story we had on the website this week about a social prescribing initiative in Cornwall. 10 patients from the Morab surgery in Penzance in Cornwall were responsible for curating a recent exhibition at the town's Newland Art Gallery. I think what's so unique about this is that the patients were asked to select work from the Art Council National Collection of more than 8,000 pieces some of the work that made it into the final exhibition included pieces by Pablo Picasso, Henry Moore and Sheila Berman. So the project came about after the practice's social prescriber, Ellie Mosley, recognised that she had a group of patients she was helping with a real interest in art. I mean, she herself went out and made contact with local art institutions and found that the Newland Gallery was interested in putting on an exhibition that involved the local community. The gallery wanted to look at the potential the Arts Council collection had to offer health and wellbeing benefits to local people. 
So for the exhibition, the group of 10 patients were asked to choose pieces that reflected their personal response to the pandemic in a series of online meetings. And they were able to attend the gallery when the show was being put together. It really does sound like it was an amazing project for all the people involved, you know, the patients, the gallery and the social prescribing team that's led to some lasting benefits. It's a great story and there is an article about it on our website, which includes a link to a really fantastic video about how the project came about and how the exhibition was put together. So do have a look at gponline.com for that. Well, that's it for this episode. Don't forget you can keep up with all the latest news affecting general practice at gponline.com and follow us on Twitter at gponlinenews. Thank you for listening and thanks to Nick and Luke. If you've enjoyed the podcast, then please do think about rating us and you can subscribe to Talking General Practice from wherever you get your podcasts. We're back next week when I'll be speaking to Dr Richard Fieldhouse, who's chair of the National Association of Sessional GPs, about how the pandemic has impacted on locum GPs and whether the NHS is making the best use of the locum GP workforce. Do join us then. 